The Athletic. Totally Football Show European Edition with Belgium. Scott Parker's In Bruges remake. Will he be a hit or will they soon be shot of him? Ligue 1, Lance Armstrong and make PSG look dopey. Spain, high Liga and what the Spanish think of Matteo Lajoy. And Serie A returns with Juve in a scandal that may not finish well, much like Inter's front line as they prepare to face Napoli on Wednesday. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Tuesday, 3rd of January. And what's this, listener? That's right. It's the Euro crew back from their travels. I'm talking James Horncastle. Hello. Julian Laurence. Hello. Alvaro Romeo. Hello, hello. And Rafa Honigstein, even though he doesn't need to be here, does he, Rafa? Why? Oh. I mean, no, it's, it's nice that he's come, but there's no Bundesliga until what? Late March? April? 20th. You've just given Rafa holidays, an excuse generally. not to come on to the show for the next uh, yeah. two weeks. Yeah. I mean, he's here, but is he? I just well, couldn't stay away, James. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't It's been stay so away. long. It's been so long. Or a minute, as they say. Not since, what, November? Because then there was that whole World Cup thing and then the final with front oh Jules how are you how are you getting on you don't you don't need to go there I don't understand this is not about the World Cup is it you're right no and, and anyway at least there's PSG's control anyway, Jules, Jules won because <laughs> I, I remember being sat behind Jules at Argentina Croatia and Jules was just singing along with all the Argentina fans so you know I, I'm not sure Jules was a French supporter yeah. in that in that World Cup final anymore I was sat with like in the um in the side of the press box with all the South American, Argentines, uh, journalists and broadcasters and everything for the final. So every time Argentina scored, they all got up, like, literally all together, starting shouting and celebrating, kissing each other, blah, blah, blah. And then when we scored, I was the only one shouting, but I was shouting very, very loud. Were you insulting them, Jules? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was glad they just couldn't understand the like Paris slang kind of thing. Jules, uh, did you do Argentine TV? I did Argentine TV. How many different nationalities of TV did you do while in uh, Qatar? I did I did France, uh, um, USA, Canada, Jamaica, Pakistan, Argentina, <laughs> Mexico. Yeah. And I think that's it, yeah. Wow. England. And England. Sorry, okay. and England. I try my best to, uh, you know, to, to be as busy as possible over there. Yeah, yeah, nice. You even left us some, some, some voice notes for the Totally Football Show as well. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Because producer Charlie reminded me. Otherwise, yeah, I would have probably <laughs> yeah. been like drinking. No, I mean, we were just happy final. to hear from you. Anyway. What's the Totally Football Show? <laughs> no, never. You're my priority forever. <laughs> we, Jules. It's an us thing. Anyway. This is getting awkward, listener. Let's get on to some moments of the weekend, remember? Where you all pick out your favourite bit of the weekend, except often it's the week or whatever. Rafa, you begin. <laughs> I don't even know what day of the week it is, let alone what moment of the week. Okay. Alvaro, I bet you've got one. Well, I have one, yes. It only lasts 15 minutes, my moment of the week, but... Uh, it is from the very moment that... Keep it uh, short, Alvaro. Yeah. <laughs> it goes from the moment that the pilot says, hello, we're in Valladolid and we are taking off to Madrid. 
until a pilot says, hello, we have landed in Madrid. 15 minutes. And this is what Real Madrid did. Basically, instead of taking the train, uh, which is 50 minutes from Madrid to Valladolid, instead of spending the night in Valladolid and taking the train the day after, they decided to have a return ticket from Madrid to Valladolid, Valladolid-Madrid, uh, by plane. And, uh, you know, uh, that was pretty controversial in Spain, but maybe not as controversial as it should be, uh, because uh, this is something that is pretty pretty weird in these times, uh, the fact that Real Madrid took a plane uh, only for a 15-minute flight to go to Valladolid. They won there. I guess that it was a successful uh, day or night for them, but it was definitely uh, not very eco-friendly what they did. Mm. They didn't go by plane, Alvaro. I think that they did go by plane as well. Oh, they went They went yeah. by plane as well. And they went back by plane too. Mm. Not the only controversy in La Liga since its return. We'll touch on uh, some of the other big issues a bit later on. Jules, what about you? My moment of the weekend was uh, Frank Hayes, the Lance manager, uh, gathering his players after the, the game against PSG that they won brilliantly as well and took the microphone uh, in the stadium when the stadium was still completely full and starting singing the song that they have in Lance to celebrate a win, which is... Oh lele, oh la la, mais qu'est-ce qui s'est passé? On les a chicoté. And he went from sounding it quietly to louder and louder. And then at the end, the whole stadium and all the players starting singing that song, which means what just happened? We destroyed them pretty much. Uh, and that was that was fitted because they played so so well against PSG and 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 beat them for the first time this season. Extraordinary stuff. James Horncastle. City gets underway Wednesday. Do you have a moment that was special in the meantime? <laughs> in the meantime? How yeah. long is the meantime? Well, I don't know. Is there something from this weekend that you particularly enjoyed? I finished a book. Oh, right. What book was that, James Horncastle? It was the fourth book in the Alexandria Quartet by Lawrence Durrell. It was very good. It's oh, called yeah. Claire. Claire. Nice. Okay. Let's get on to... Some Liga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Wow, Jules, what was going on there? It's the third goal for Lance, the, the ball lost by PSG and the way Lance pressed and straight after the, the start of the second half, it was 2-1 at the time and Alexis Claude Maurice scoring the third one in an incredible atmosphere really to make it 3-1. Already in a game that was massively dominated by Lance, it's not even if like you know PSG were very much in it before that third goal. Just Lance showing again uh, with that goal at the start of the second half why they'd been so much better than PSG through the first half as well. It was just a, a remarkable performance from them, like an absolute masterclass tactically and but also in the intensity that they put in the game, how aggressive they were, how they prevented PSG from, from playing and finding Kylian Mbappe, a, a PSG team with no Neymar because he was suspended and no Messi because he was still, of, of course, on holidays. But, but also just the, the, whole, the whole atmosphere, the, the, everything that Lance did pretty much was perfect in that game and, and they fully deserved that win. It was a top two clash to kick off the new year in, in Liga and it's left the gap between the two. PSG still on top, but four points now, which 
whether that constitutes title race, I don't know, time will tell. But when you say they were spot on tactically, what was it they did? And uh, Just isolating Mbappe or the press or what? Yeah, yeah, the press and the counter press was really the most, uh, the biggest thing. I mean, they, all, they, they, they do it all the time. It's not just for this game, but the, the 5-4-1 worked really well. And then the way they pressed and counter pressed, not, not all the time. They didn't try to, to overdo it and, and do, it, do it too much. Um, or, or just, just doing it all the time. They just did it exactly when needed, when they had to, uh, and and when they had to play a bit deeper, they did. But they just control every moment in that game so 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 well. When usually against PSG, there's a time where you're under pressure, and usually that costs you a goal. That was not the case. Even the goal that PSG scored, the Kitike goal, was just a bit lucky because there was a foul on the goalkeeper that the referee didn't give. But everything else, they they scored good goals. They created more chances. They were just from the first minute to the last minute so on it all the time. And that intensity, PSG was just not ready to match it. I don't think they looked that bothered, to be fair. And it looked like they just rested on Mbappe on his own to say like, okay, go and win us the game because you're you're that good. But that was that was just not enough. And I think Galtier made a, a few mistakes in his team selection. Vitinha should have started 100%. But overall, there was just there was just no match. Lens were far, far better. Was that what happened on the previous match on Wednesday when it took the 95th minute for PSG to get a winner against Strasbourg with Neymar getting sent off for diving, that that it was left to Kylian Mbappe to basically save save the day? Yeah, although they were much better than Strasbourg, they could easily have been like 3-0 before Strasbourg scored their deflected goal and that was a bit lucky. But at least they, they played well. It was the, They had a kind of similar usually performance where they had a lot of the ball and they create and they, they, the pressure is relentless. This time was not the case at all. They were really, really, really beaten by a much better side. Seko Fofana, the, uh, the last captain who's Paris born and bred as well, uh, was outstanding in that midfield. A- every last player was fantastic. Juice, will Messi coming back make things worse or better? <laughs> ah, that's a good uh, question. I mean it. Yeah, yeah. We don't know in what kind of mindset he will come back. You would think there's no, I mean, in a way, there's no reason why, after the World Cup, you know, he doesn't keep playing like he did before the World Cup, where he was pretty good already. Then at the World Cup, where he was outstanding, uh, I'm not saying you know when they go away at Reims or go you know away at Brest or something like that. But certainly the Champions League games against Bayern, the, you would expect Messi to still be very good, Neymar to still be very good, and Mbappe to still be very good. But you're right, we don't know what kind of mindset, what kind of fitness. He will come back in. He's back to today as we record this. So I guess he's not going to be involved in the French Cup game at the weekend. But for the following game on the 11th, you would expect him to maybe play a bit. And then we will know a bit more, like, you know, if he wants to or not, if he's fit, if he's ready or not. Jules, four points clear still. And this is only their first defeat of the season. Should PSG be worried or... But yeah, Lance have only lost one game as well all season, and that was in the derby where, against Lille, where they should not have lost really. So four points. There's the, the much bigger goal difference for PSG. So I guess it's five, maybe if you want to find um, an optimistic reasons to say like, yeah, PSG are okay, but they just can't repeat those kind of performances. That not many. I mean, apart from Marseille, no other teams play like Lance. To be fair to them, but. But you also saw the flaws, you also saw the, the frustration that they had, the problems that they had. It's a game that in the second half they lost, like, um, well, they never had control of it, but they, they kind of lost their head a little bit as well uh, because they were so dominated. Marco Verratti had a, had a really, really tough game. Fabian Ruiz didn't exist at all. Soler neither. I mean, he was very, very poor. 
So it won't always be like that. But yeah, four points is not much and Marseille are only like eight points behind. So mm. it's, yeah, I think, I think we have a, a very interesting second half of the season. Okay, Marseille are third for behind Lens. They had a 2-1 win against Montpellier on Monday. Nuno Tavares scoring and getting sent off. Yeah, yeah. Match. One of the most, uh, I mean, intelligence red card that you will obviously ever seen because they tune it up on the 87th minute. The ball is in Montpellier box and he does like literally a kung fu kick on a Montpellier defender from behind. Like literally you're thinking like, why? No, no, why, why are you doing this? Uh, he would get, I mean, Igor Tudo, as you know, just don't mess with Igor, was really not happy after the game and I, I think Nuno probably got a bollocks properly and we'll get, we'll get a fine, by the way, for that red, stupid red card. In the end, it didn't cost them because they considered a penalty a few minutes later, but they still won the game 2-1. But why would you do this at 2-0 two, two up in the opposition's box in the 87th minute? It's just beyond me. Extraordinary. A Leon update, Laurent Blanc, Jules. Oh yeah, yeah. They they, they turned a corner against Brest uh, just after Christmas. Brilliant win, and then everybody got a bit excited, saying, "Oh yeah, this is a good team with good players." And then they go on and lose at, at home against Clermont one 0 where they were shocking. They were terrible, uh, and you think like, "Well, this is the story of their season. They're just not a very good team. They they're in eighth position. Clermont nine. This is the level. They can't even win." in their own stadium against a team like Clermont. And despite having changed managers already, having changed owners as well, by the way, having really, really good players, they just can't do it. So I'm not even sure that second half of the season would be much better from them because they, there's something clearly wrong about it. And Alexander Lacazette is out injured now. Yeah, as well. They lost Lacazette. I mean, some would say that they've lost him earlier because, I mean, the, the whole collective is so poor that I'm not really sure what he can do in that team anyway. But yeah, he yeah he got he got an hamstring problem. Again, they're playing the cup uh, this week, so it's not too bad if he's missing this weekend. Uh, and then they've got the league back. But in the league, if they don't qualify for Champions League next season, they they they're in big trouble again. Jules, so there's a change of ownership after. Well, how long was um, Jean-Michel Olas in 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 uh, in charge of that club? Yeah, twenty. Seven years, I think. Wow. Maybe, yeah, I think eighty-seven he, uh, or eighty-six. He bought the club, something like that. Maybe even a bit more. And yeah, he finally decided to um, to sell John Texter, who owns Botafogo, for example, part of Crystal Palace. Uh, the American as businessman has has come along. It took a long time because he clearly was skint, didn't have the money or enough <laughs> money to do it. So he was supposed to do it at the beginning of September. Then he was, uh, don't worry, it's all good. Uh, October will be will be fine. <laughs> Then he still could not get the extra pennies for it. So we, they said, okay, no, November will finally be the, right, the, the, the good month. And then eventually in December, somehow, he managed to get a few quids there and there. Christmas time. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas time, yeah. exactly. <laughs> to, buy, to buy the club. So you know, let's see what he does with it now. Is it a bit sad though, Jules? I mean, that's, that's part of the French football landscape gone. Yeah, it is sad. It's only the end of an era. I think all us... I mean, wanted to cash in. I think there's, there's just no doubt. You know, they sold the club for 780 million, I think, which is a lot of money, really. Um, it was more the, the part of two other big, big shareholders in the club uh, who sold their part, but, but Olas also sold uh, some of his and kept a little bit of it. So he's still involved in the club. You know, he's one of, one of those guys that can't really just stop it completely. So he still needs to be involved, which he will be. But yeah, it's the end of an era. Uh, it's, it's another American owner in European football for, you know, for the big clubs. 
So let's see, let's see what happens. I think a lot of the fans were very excited when back in June it happened. But the fact that he struggled to get the whole amount of money, that there was a lot of sort of dark areas, a little bit of, okay, what is he doing now? What's, what's happening? Why is he not done? Why is he not, why is he not the owner now? I think like just put a bit of doubt in some of the fans' mind about really, not so much his motivation, but okay, if, if he doesn't have the money, then what, what is that saying for the investment that is supposed to come and things like that? So we will have to see. Okay. Jules, just to finish off, immediately below Lyon and Clermont Foot in Le Table, uh, are Reims. In the, the classement. Oui, c'est ça. <laughs> uh, Reims, yeah. uh, who have had a remarkable uh, run of unbeaten uh, results in the last eight games. Under their new manager, tell us why he's so unusual. Yeah, it's so unusual because um, Will Steele, who's a young, very young Belgian, I think he's 33, uh, who used to be the assistant 30, of... I believe. Or 30, maybe even. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was 33. No, Decided 30, to take right. up coaching after playing computer games as a teenager. That's right. Very, I mean, very bright guy who who had a, a couple of clubs in Belgium before. But yeah, you're right. It was very much like an um, unexpected kind of career pathway, if you want. And then became the, uh, the assistant coach to Oscar Garcia. Then Garcia... And Reims decided to, to part ways, if you want, uh, for, for different reasons. So Reims said, okay, well, they take the club as an interim coach. He said, yeah, but I don't have my badges. They said, it's okay. You can still be on the bench, but we'll have to pay a fine, uh, which is, I think, around um, 20,000 euros every game that your coach on your bench doesn't have the right badges. But because he's done so well, uh, so I think he's eight games unbeaten now, mm -hmm. uh, four wins and four draws or five wins and three draws. They said, well, we have to keep you. So he's doing his badges now. In the meantime, they still pay the fine for every single game. But he's been outstanding. They were good, I thought, at Lille yesterday, for example. Even if maybe in the end they were a bit lucky to get a draw because Lille also had a lot of chances. But he, he plays really proactive football. There's a lot of movement. The, the players really enjoy it. And for someone who, as we said, is only 30 years old, it's really, really remarkable. Mm. Will still versus Lille. Yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, uh, there you go. Anything else about Liga, Jules? Just one last thing. Uh, if you haven't heard of Elias Ben Seguir, yeah, he's the new uh, prodigy at Monaco. Only seventeen uh, and ten months. It was. It would be eighteen in in February at the end of February, and he scored two goals, amazing on his on his Liga debut, coming off the bench against Auxerre straight after uh, Christmas, and and he was again outstanding in the um, New Year's Eve fixture against Brest. So yeah, remember the name, Elias Ben Seguir, seventeen years old. Elias Ben Seguir. Yeah. What's his real name? <laughs> that, that oh, Elias. Sorry, right, my mistake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, while we're on the subject of unusual coaching appointments, your attention listener may have been attracted this week by Scott Parker's return to the world of management at Champions League Club Bruges. What on earth behind this? Let's dial up our Belgian football correspondent, Christophe Terreur. Christophe, no sweat, no glory is written on my body. Not my words, but those of Scott Parker, who is the new manager of Club Bruges. First of all, what happened to Carl Hufkens? Well, yeah, he was sacked uh, two days after Christmas uh, 
basically after after we last called had uh, had a podcast on Club Brugge when they were almost going through, I think, uh, in the Champions League. Yeah, they lost a few games. They lost yeah their momentum. They were not playing well anymore. Yeah, and suddenly uh, after a few disastrous defeats, they Club Brugge decided to, to get rid of him because it was not working with a part of of. Of the players anymore, he had some uh, some difficulties with some of the star players, and so yeah, they decided to get rid of him uh, after only six months in charge and after yeah an historical uh, an historical qualification for for the second round of the Champions League. It's weird, but that's how it goes in in Belgian football sometimes, where uh, managers are treated like they are in the Italian league. Yeah. Basically, there are lots of sackings in the Belgian league. It's it's, it's usual, basically. Mm. All right. Well, that's that explained. But how did they come up with Scott Parker as his replacement? Well, as clubs always say, they compiled a list with uh, young modern managers. And uh, the name of Steven Gerrard was on it too. They inquired, but he he, he deemed to be too too expensive. Uh, So... uh, Kasper Juhlman, the Danish national manager, he was one one of the of the names they inquired for too. But yeah, he said he wasn't available. Roberto Martinez said he wasn't available for Club Brugge, that he was just waiting for for something else. And then the name of Scott Parker popped up, and uh, Vincent Manart, the, the the CEO of Club Brugge, he talked with, uh, for instance, Dennis Odoi, who who played under Parker at Fulham, and that's how they got convinced about Scott Parker. But I think as somebody must have uh, offered him like it happens nowadays in football mm. agents know there was already pressure on Hufkins, Hufkins and uh, everybody knew from the week before that if he'd lost points against OHL on, on Boxing Day that he would go so uh, I think they'd already made the homework in, in the days before and uh, maybe an agent offered him or maybe uh, in Belgium, they think highly of, of Scott Parker, uh, but for most neutral fancy, he was quite unknown. Who Scott Parker? They said that mm. was the first reaction. Uh, okay, well, I, I guess they're going to find out. In terms of the, the the team, is it is it a good squad that he inherits? Fourth in the Jupiler Pro League, but what kind of team has he inherited, and what what's the target to get them back on top? Well, for Bruges, it's always important to to get into the into the Champions League, basically, because They've invested heavily in their squad and in wages and stuff like that the last few years because they've always been successful. So the Champions League is very important for them. So they have to get first in the first four the playoff system that Scott Parker, he didn't know about it, but yeah, he couldn't explain yesterday how it worked and he still had to find out how our weird league system works. So they have to be in top four and then they play a playoff uh, uh, under the best four and they have to be in the top four. They will always uh, make top four with that score, I think. But yeah, for Bruce, it's important to, to become champions again, basically. And that's what the call is. They are 12 points behind Genk, who've, who've uh, had a great season uh, till now. They have no uh, uh, European football leader, so they can just focus on, uh, on, on the league. And yeah, the, the, the points will be split up in two when the playoffs start. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's still six points behind. And he starts the, the, the first game is at Genk at the league leader. So he has already a difficult start. But um, yeah, Bruce expect them to be champions. And the squad, the squad is good. It has proven to be a good squad, like a decent squad. 
they've they have experience with Mignolet van Naken who've all excelled in uh, in in the Champions League. You have uh, Noah Lang who was in the in the Dutch squad uh, who was not good on the hoof because he's been injured. He had some issues with uh, with uh, with hoof because they have the Danish international scoff also. So it's a good squad, but yeah, they. They, they were underperforming for, for the last two months. So they basically need somebody who motivates them and gets them yeah, to play football again because the football was not good over the last uh, yeah, maybe two, three months. Even, even when they were performing in the Champions League where they were playing basically as the underdog, uh, which is quite different. In Belgium, everybody expects Bruges to be the dominant team in the Champions League. They didn't have to do it. So that's why... They were good at the beginning of the season, but not in the league. They haven't really convinced in the Belgian league, and that's what the board want to change. Basically, that's why they uh, employed uh, Parker. They want to see, yeah, more football again. Excellent. All right, Christoph. Well, it's a fascinating development. Thank you for giving us the background to it. You're welcome. There you go. No sweat, no glory. Scott Parker and at Bruce. They're taking on Benfica, of course in the last 16 of the Champions League. Ooh, Benfica side, who may be without the services of Jules's favourite player. Maybe not anymore, I don't know. Enzo Fernandez, is he still your favourite player, Jules? Yeah, I still love him. I you do? Love him. Yeah, we, yeah. We, are you going to be loving him at Chelsea? Is that is that going to happen, do you think? I think, yeah, I think there's a, there's a big chance. Uh, I mean, he was always down to Benfica to decide if they were ready to let him go now or if they wanted to just hold on him. Uh, for a bit longer for, for this until the summer because obviously they are also still in the Champions League because the, the gap at the top with Porto was reduced this, this week in, in the league for example they still have I think four, they're still four points clear but you know it's, it's getting closer and, and without him it's, it would not be the same team at all so it looks like Rico Starr has decided to, um, to accept the, the, the offer from Chelsea which is the release close slightly above even the release close that they had for him anyway, um, and and that he will go. Yes, yeah. so it's an incredible transfer from from a Chelsea point of view. Mm. You can debate if he was worth the money or not at that age. The how, how much is it? One hundred and twenty-seven million euros. Mm. People are going yes. to ask the question about financial fair play. Is that is that a question I should ask you? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's not one for now anyway, because at the moment they Chelsea were were not under. Uh, scrutiny on that sense and uh -huh. and so I think for now they can spend the money it might come back to buy them a little bit later but again the Premier League clubs bring so much money in uh, that even when the new format of the of the financial fair play comes uh, comes in the following season then I still think they should be okay Any other big transfer stories we should mention on this Tuesday the 3rd of January? Uh, Benoit Badiachil the uh, Monaco defender uh, obviously on his way to Chelsea that's a much cheaper one than Enzo. It's only 40 million euros. Uh, he's 21. He's left-footed. He's really, really talented, but he's still quite young in the way he plays and some of the mistakes that he makes. So I don't know if in Chelsea's mind this is one, this is one for now or if it's one for a bit later, like that new policy that they have of signing the, those young players more to develop and then use a bit, a bit later, like Andre Santos, the, the young Brazilian midfielder that they've just signed, who's only 18. But Yashil has played in the Champions League, has played in Europe, has played in, with France, he's got two caps, has played in Ligue 1 a lot of games, so he's more experienced than Andre Santos, for example. But still, he's still a young player 
who makes mistakes, but they thought that's the right time to um, to get him. So 40 million Badia Shield from Monaco. Fair enough. Rafa, anything uh, bubbling away in the Bundesliga? Well, there's a the big question about who's going to be the Bayern goalkeeper while Manuel Neuer is nursing his broken leg. They've asked Kevin Trapp. They've asked Jan Sommer. Of course, uh, Alexander Nübel uh, at Monaco would be their preferred choice because he is a Bayern player on loan. But negotiations with Monaco have been very difficult. They don't want to release him halfway through the season. Nubel is also reluctant to just come back for six months and then find himself exactly in the same position, just without much chance of being the number one. So it looks more like they'll have to go for a, shall we say, creative solution in getting somebody in for six months who then maybe wants to move on again. Uh, and both Jan Sommer and Kevin Trapp have been, have been approached by Bayern. It looks most likely to be Jan Sommer at this point, unless they can find some very late agreement with Monaco. They've set themselves on a deadline until the 6th of January before they go to Qatar, of all places, for their winter training camp. I don't think an agreement with either Nubel or Monaco is likely at this point, so Sommer would be my bet as the most likely guy to come in. Okay. Bundesliga returning, as you mentioned, on the 20th of this month, currently Bayern leading ahead of Freiburg with Borussia Dortmund in third, Rafa, is that right? No, they're only fifth. Fifth, but they have got Sebastian Haller returning to training, which is terrific news after another operation uh, following his testicular cancer diagnosis back in the summer, but looks like he's he's finally uh, able to uh, to play again, which is great. Yeah, they'll be very careful to not rush him, but he will do some of the early exercises and uh, tests that they're conducting this week ahead for of their training camp in Marbella. And the hope is that he will take part in some of the sessions, but I think it'll be a while before he'll be fully reintegrated as far as team training is concerned. But uh, absolutely fantastic news. Mm, excellent. All right, next up, Serie A. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at livescorebet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Osimen, che riesce a difendere bene il pallone, di tacco, lo dà all'indietro molto bene per Lozano, ci sarebbe spazio per Zilinski, interno all'area di rigore, il controllo, il destro, il gol, bellissimo del 2-0. That there was Napoli, just before City Air broke for the World Cup and that, back in November, winning 3-2 against Udinese. Eight points clear at the top of the table of Milan now as we prepare for Serie A to return uh, with a bang. On Wednesday, it's games all day. Starting with Milan, early doors, 11.30, I think. That game kicks off UK time against... Am I right in saying... Uh, who are they playing? Is it Salernitana? Salernitana. Salernitana. Yeah. Other games to look out for? Well, Juventus against Cremonese because Juventus off the field have had a very busy time of it in December with their entire board resigning. And, of course, the big game in the evening, which sees Napoli and Inter head-to-head at San Siro. James? Yeah. Uh, be interesting to see if Napoli can pick up where they left off. Um, they have lost their two friendly games against Villarreal and Lille, um, even though they've been at pretty much full strength. I think some of the players lacking a bit of match rhythm, fitness. Cavadat uh, Scalia, who's been the revelation in European football, um, People quick to forget that, um, given that we've had a World Cup in the middle. But Napoli still, at least in competitive terms, the the only uh, undefeated team uh, in you know one of Europe's big leagues at this moment in time. After Benfica lost uh, before Christmas and uh, PSG too, um, so I think there's a lot of intrigue going into this game because cast your mind back to uh, last season, the first team to beat Napoli was Inter at San Siro. Um, and psychologically, I think this game will be quite important because if Napoli were to lose um, on their first game back, yeah, we would already be talking about, you know, is this a big test of their mettle? Um, are, they, uh, are their nerves going to be shredded um, by that? So, yeah, we'll have to see what condition uh, Lautaro Martinez is in. Will he actually finish some chances? Um, Do you think he'll be no, back playing? Because the, the talk I'd seen was that he was still effectively out of the picture and it was going to be Lukaku returning. Um, yeah, Lukaku decided to give a... It's that time of year again. He decided to give an interview to Sky Italia in which you know he kind of said that he wants to say it into uh, after this season, that his the injury that he had was a really bad injury, um, that I think the tendon to one of his muscles had been completely... Uh, severed and needed some time to um to, to get better um he scored on 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 one of his one of his games back the friendly against regina which was the the inzaghi brothers get together um shout out to people inzaghi um because regina are doing very well in city of b it looks like he might take another team up uh, having already done that with benevento uh, but back to inter um, yeah, Lautaro was back. He, he gave a press conference, as all these Argentine players do. Um, they get you know, this special treatment. They have to speak to the media before returning to training. And he said he is ready. Um, you know, I mean, Lautaro didn't hold back before the World Cup, unlike some of the other Argentine players in Serie A, like uh, Paredes and Di Maria, who, you know, the slightest knock said that they, they needed three weeks to recover in order to be ready for the World Cup. Lautaro played every minute. So I have a feeling that if he's ready, he will be chomping at the bit to play. The, the only other thing is that Dzeko, I suppose, has been scoring in, in these uh, mid-season warm-ups, if you want to call them that. Mm. It's quite a thought, though, isn't it? <clears throat> Lautaro and, and Lukaku, what, what a pair of deadly finishers <laughs> that would be against uh, 
against Napoli. If Napoli win this game, yikes. Yikes. I mean, it, 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 look, we're not halfway through the season yet, so there's still a lot of football to play. Um, but to have that lead, for Juventus to uh, to be in kind of disarray off the pitch, whether that will impact on them on the pitch, we'll have to see. Sometimes it can be a galvanising force. I mean, I think one of the regrets about Italy not being at the World Cup was that a scandal happened. Um, and usually they win tournaments when there's a scandal, uh, as was the case in 82 and 2006. So a real big missed opportunity for, for Italy in that regard. Would you tell us uh, about the scandal though, James? So um, <laughs> Juventus's board resigned uh, midway through Brazil against Switzerland. Um, <laughs> uh, which was quite a big, big thing to have the kind of news desk ringing you during that game. Um, For any journalists who were covering both Brazil and football, <laughs> quite yeah. busy. Quite a busy. And Argentina, don't forget. And Argentina. Argentina. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, they res resigned as a, a, a kind of precautionary defensive measure um, after the findings of uh, this Prisma investigation uh, were wrapped up and sent. Um, to the prosecutors in in, in Turin, um, which, I mean, we've spoken about this before. Juventus uh, have been accused of false accounting, you know, filing false reports to the, the stock exchange, false invoicing to agents. Um, yeah, they uh, have said in their statements that they believe that they've uh, acted appropriately uh, within the context of, of how football is run. That's their defence. Um, but it was it was seismic when particularly Andrea Agnelli uh, resigned um, because let's not forget that when the Super League uh, flopped, uh, Agnelli stayed. People thought he was going to resign after that. So this is this is serious. All kinds of things are happening. So UEFA had agreed, I think, a settlement agreement with uh, with Juventus for financial fair play. They said they said they're going to have to look into that again, um, given the findings of this investigation. The Italian Football Federation, which had um, uh, held an investigation into inflated transfer fees and had then lost that case uh, and then lost the appeal, um, have asked for it to be reopened as well. So that's significant because it can mean that sporting penalties come back into play if they are successful in, 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 in reopening the case. I think that's, that will be heard in mid-January as to whether they can, they can look into Juventus and the other clubs involved again. So that would mean maybe points penalties or, you know, if you, if you listen to the, some of uh, the more extremist um, legal experts who uh, Gazetta and Corriere go to, you know, could even mean relegation. Um, and, um, and then whether this goes to trial or not as well in a civil case, um, which is much more serious. Um, so there's a new board that has been appointed, which will be ratified um, in the middle of this month. And uh, we'll have to see what repercussions that has as well in terms of transfer strategy, um, because it looks like they won't be able to do any business uh, in January. And it looks we'll have to see what it means for them in the summer as well, whether Juventus have to downscale, downsize, um, you know, whether the club is even put up for sale. That has been suggested in, in some parts of the media. I, I think that's, again, because Italy aren't, weren't at the World Cup, uh, there's been a lot of pages to fill <laughs> in the Italian papers, right. and so there's been a lot of there's a lot of bit, there's been a lot of doom mongering. That's not to say this isn't serious, but I mean for, for this to happen when it's the this 2023 is the 100th, it's the centenary of the Agnelli's mm. 
buying Juventus and 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 being the longest serving owners of a football club in in European football. Right. Um, so I, I I my guess, James, would be that they would see this out. Okay. <laughs> Statistically, it's quite likely that the Centenario would fall in the middle of a big scandal because I mean, they have won every what four years or so. <laughs> I mean, Italian football has run every that club, really. <laughs> they are, there's no club like them in the world, surely. Juventus, just time yeah, after time. No, no it's, yeah, it is. It is pretty remarkable, and yeah. Um, and yeah. So they, they, this, watch this space because it's, it's a story that's not not going away. Mm. Well, you are though, James. You've got to go and do things. So we salute you now, Mr. Horncastle. You'll be back on BT with our Sunday night game this coming. Sunday yeah, the eighth. looking forward to this one. Milan Roma. Milan uh, Roma. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, as, as long as Jose hasn't accepted the Portugal job yet, right? Uh, but he might do that in his spare time. I mean, it's great for that story to come up just when he might be renegotiating his contract with Roma. But um, there we yeah. go. All right. See you on BT Sport. Listeners. See you on BT Sport. All right. Next up, La Liga. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Alvaro, La Liga's come back early this year. Uh, we've had loads of action already, and oh my word, Real Madrid and Barcelona tied at the top of the table after this weekend's action. What do you want to talk about first? Yeah, it was a good restart for Real Madrid, definitely. Not so much for Barcelona, because uh, Real Madrid managed to level on points with Barcelona at the top of the table. If La Liga would finish today, 
Real Madrid would be the champion, by the way, because remember that in the case of being level on points, is the head-to-head -head what matters. But anyway, we are not at that point yet. But yeah, Real Madrid weren't particularly great against Valladolid. Uh, as I said before, probably the most interesting news about uh, all that game against uh, Valladolid was the fact that Real Madrid traveled by plane to Valladolid. But um, there were some conundrums uh, over there, like for example the fitness of Karim Benzema, who unfortunately wasn't in the World Cup at the end. And... Uh, you know, he didn't look particularly sharp, to be honest, but uh, it can only help the fact that he scored a couple of goals. One was a penalty goal and the other one a nice finish uh, after a very good ball control. And then uh, Vinicius looked sharp again, just uh, taking on players one on one. Apparently Vinicius heard in the stands some racist chants as well. And uh, if La Liga thinks that there is a case in there, we'll investigate for sure. But it was a very important victory for Real Madrid. Mm. The, on the Vinicius thing, I mean, there seemed to be quite a lot of evidence of, of, of racist abuse in that game. And I, I thought I saw a statement from La Liga saying that they felt that it was within the context of normal, I wouldn't say fan banter, but in, 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 in the context of supporting their team and they weren't going to take any action on it. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing, that Vinicius couldn't believe that. La Liga had the chance, for example, to take some action, probably, against Atletico de Madrid when uh, ahead of the derby uh, from Madrid. Vinicius got plenty of uh, racist chance and a stick uh, outside of Wanda Metropolitano, which is why La Liga didn't take some action, because it happened outside of the ground. Mm. But uh, if it happens inside of the ground, and there is some evidence, I don't understand why La Liga is not doing it, uh, probably because they think that the evidence is not strong enough, maybe the audio is not perfect, or whatever it is there, is not uh, too incriminating but uh, you know in these cases I think that being very strict and uh, making sure that this doesn't happen again should be the should be the norm and if uh, there is some little evidence that Vinicius got this again this season well it should be prosecuted or persecuted mm, absolutely okay uh, Benzema as you mentioned with a brace which takes his tally to 32 goals for the calendar year that game coming just at the tail end of 2022 Barcelona meanwhile Dropping points in uh, the derby with Espanyol. Uh, yeah, and with Lewandowski in the lineup, uh, which is something that it's worth mentioning because uh, he got a three game ban. Uh, in the last game before the World Cup against Osasuna uh, because basically he got sent off and while he was leaving the pitch he uh, touched his nose a couple of times which is apparently a derogatory gesture that we don't know of in Spain but in Central Europe and in Germany as well apparently it means that the, the referee has been a little bit cocky or arrogant. That uh, three-game suspension um, was lifted because Barcelona appealed it to a higher court and mm. now Espanyol is appealing the game because they understand that Lewandowski should have not played against Barcelona. That is very unlikely to prosper. But anyway, when Lewandowski got his uh, ban lifted, uh, it, wasn't, uh, it was just temporary. It was a temporary measure. So there has been a game of appealing from Barcelona, counter-appealing from Espanyol. As I said before, this is not going to prosper. And there are two options now that Lewandowski gets finally his three-game suspensions li lifted, no matter what. And the more probable one, that Lewandowski doesn't get his three-game uh, suspension lifted, and therefore he 
he will miss three games at some point this season. Who knows mm. if that will happen against Atlético de Madrid this weekend. But Lewandowski or not, Barcelona couldn't beat Espanyol in a local derby. They started scoring, but then Marcos Alonso made the penalty and uh, Espanyol got the equalizer. And yeah, the same problems of Barcelona show up again. Uh, they've got some issues in the compositional aspect of the game. So basically attacking, creating, everything is quite flat. And it is very telling as well that Barcelona has conceded only six goals this season, which is fantastic which is fantastic, but they haven't been able to profit that uh, better than Real Madrid because Real Madrid defensively has been poorer uh, in attack. They haven't been particularly better, but uh, then they are level on the table. So Barcelona is not managing you know, their differences in the game very well, the fact that they have left many clean sheets, and it's still too dependent on Lewandowski. You see Barcelona, and you see that the midfielders and the attackers as well, all of them, starting by Dembélé, Ferran Torres, Ansu Fati, to higher degrees or different degrees of uh, responsibility, of course, but they are not providing all the goals that Lewandowski is indeed providing. Mm. Lewandowski having problems with arrogant referees. Who, who was the official this time around? The big Mateo Laoz, the big man. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows him now in Europe. Uh, he has become a celebrity. I don't know, maybe yeah. he's the biggest celebrity uh, after Pierluigi Colini, but, uh, Colina, what, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I was going to ask, what, what's the view on him? I mean, that, that legendary Netherlands-Argentina game at the World Cup, uh, which he pretty much matched. I think it was 17 yellows and one red that he showed in, in that game in Qatar. And Saturday, 16 yellows and two reds. Look, the view on Mateo is... As it follows, basically he has become a celebrity. And as Spanish football fans, we have been talking about this referee for a very long time. He's a polarizing figure. Some players mm. like Mateo Laoz, believe it or not, because on paper, he's a, manager, uh, he's a referee sorry, who let the game flow on paper. But lately he hasn't done that. He has done right the opposite. He has uh, had a hyperbolic amount of uh, decisions. And, uh, you know, all the things that Mateo could be good for, like, for example, he lets the play flow, he can be even a little bit entertaining because he does plenty of gestures, he beckons the players a lot and all that. He is not doing that. And when he doesn't do that, he becomes a very annoying referee because he takes too much part on the game and he doesn't let the game flow. Again, this is an oddity. Mateo was the kind of referee who was letting the game flow. Yeah, he has become a celebrity and against Espanyol, he didn't do a good, a good job. Not at all, not at all. This weekend, then, as you mentioned, Atletico Madrid are taking on Barcelona. Uh, is João Felix going to stay at Atletico Madrid is one question. And also, what do you think is going to happen at the top of the table with Villarreal, meanwhile, hosting Real Madrid? Villarreal, who themselves had a derby against Valencia uh, at the weekend, winning 2-1 with Pepe Reina in goal. The big Pepe Reina in goal. And, you know, uh, it was uh, good for him that uh, Villarreal... Um, one, Pepe Reina had been the Villarreal goalkeeper at the beginning of the 21st century. He is um, obviously a very veteran figure in there. And uh, in my opinion, he can offer different things to Jerónimo Rulli, the other goalkeeper of Villarreal, uh, because Pepe Reina, I think that behind the posts, uh, sorry, or on the post, is still better than Jerónimo Rulli. But that's another story. Edinson Cavani scored for Valencia. It was a beautiful goal, by the way. Unstoppable. That finish was amazing. Amazing. Uh, the bad thing for Valencia is that they lost Nico, the player on loan from Barcelona. He had a strong injury and he is likely to miss the next three months of uh, La Liga and also the Super Cup. Let's not forget that Valencia is playing in the Super Cup now in, in two weeks' time and that's a sensitive absentee uh, for Valencia. Villarreal won... Uh, it's good for Kike Setien as well, because let's don't forget that when this man took charge of Villarreal, he 
was already disliked by the Villarreal fanbase and 10 days after he took charge after losing the first three games he was hearing by Villarreal stands that uh, he should leave so you know anything that is uh, uh, three points for Kike Setien is very refreshing and when it comes to Joao Felix look they are trying to Atletico uh, wouldn't be too unhappy to see him go on loan if he was a transfer obviously it would be way better because, uh, you know, it's a hit and miss with Joe Felix and his relationship with Simeone. But I cannot say whether he will go or not because, on the other hand, what Atletico is trying to do is something quite expensive for whoever wants to get him. Apparently, they want to send him on loan this season and that would cost a lot of money to whoever wants to get him. So maybe it's not worth the price. But anyway, yeah, he scored the other day against Elche. And uh, personally, I think that Joe Felix can only make Atletico better. He had a decent World Cup, but on top of that, with altogether with Antoine Griezmann, he's probably the most technical player in there, in Atletico de Madrid's uh, striking line. Uh, much more since Mateo Cunha left. Atletico lost a little bit of players in that department, so I think that Joao Felix can be important this season. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll keep across all the transfer stories as they build throughout January. Um, anything else from La Liga before we wrap it up, Alvaro? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, James. I have to tell you this. I mean, Lucas Perez. Do you remember the Formula Arsenal player? Uh, mm. We all remember him. Um, he didn't do too well at Arsenal. He spent there a couple of seasons, I think. But anyway, his journey in football is not over at all. And probably he now he is going to start his nicest journey in football because he has moved from uh, Cádiz, a team in the top flight, to Deportivo de la Coruña, a team in the third tier of Spanish football. He is a long-time Deportivo de la Coruña fan. He was making around two million after tax for Cádiz. This is what was reported. And uh, he has decided to pay his transfer to Deportivo de la Coruña. His wages will go down a lot as well. And um, he will play for Deportivo de la Coruña because Deportivo is not having, enjoying a good time. And he wants to send back Deportivo de la Coruña at least to the second division of Spanish football. So basically this is a man... Uh, who has made the personal and financial sacrifice just to, pay, uh, to play for Deportivo de la Coruña, his, uh, all, his, the, the, the club he's supporting. What a lovely story, Alvaro. If only more high-profile players changing clubs in January took a similar approach <laughs> to choosing their next, their next destination. Hmm. Anyway, all right, well, best of luck to him and Depor. And that's where we'll wrap it up for this week on the Totally Football Show's European edition. We return next Tuesday. Many thanks to everyone who took part. Rafa, James, Jules, Alvaro, producer Charlie, you listener, and all the lovely footballers for the lovely football they played. Much more of it to come. We'll see you next Tuesday with our verdict on all of that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.